0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective get ready for some amazing guests along with nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports the where why and how now here's your host nick ferguson On the first tape, she was lying unconscious on the ground, being dragged out by her feet. Did you really need to see a videotape of Ray Rice punching her in the face to make this decision?
2: No, we certainly didn't. And and I would tell you that what we saw on the first videotape was troubling to us in and of itself, and that's why we took the action we took. As I've said before, we didn't feel that was sufficient. We didn't get that right. Well, what we saw yesterday was extremely clear, is extremely graphic, and it was sickening.
3: The question, you know, that's the voice of a CBS interview uh, with Noro O'Donnell yesterday, uh, as uh, Roger Goodell, uh, NFL commissioner, explained his position on the Ray Rice case, what he saw, what he did not see. It is an ongoing investigation, and then caused a bomb storm of backlash uh, for the league and. Roger Goodell, Baltimore Ravens, and Ray Rice included. But just to give you a little backstory on Ray Rice, most accomplished player and Rutgers program history, all time leading Russia and face other programs. And even though he was going through his legal troubles and was serving currently a two game suspension, images and jerseys remained in locker rooms around the building until, until the video. Surfaced about what took place inside of the elevator, and Scarlet Knight head coach Kyle Flood said, and I quote: "It was a sad day for Ray and Rutgers." End quote. And for those who watched the game last week of, of Rutgers, uh, there's a highlight that was that Ray Rice was featured in. That's normally played in the first and second quarter, and it was met with a mix of reactions of cheers uh, and boos. But one thing is to say, as they host this Saturday, Penn State, who have seen their fair share of, uh, of scandals, uh, we probably will see a void of Ray Rice's image from the video and maybe that from Rutgers, but we'll see how they uh, handle that. And with that, I bring in my co-host, Mario Vitanza. You can find him at Mile High Mario. Mario, I know you texted me when this, this thing first broke, and you had some things that you wanted uh, to say, as I always remember, the show is PC, but be as candid as uh, as you may. When, when, for you, and I asked this question: Did you really have to see what took place in the elevator to come to the conclusion that we all saw? Here's Ray Rice, his fiancee Janae Palmer, lying, you know, unconscious on the pavement. Did you need to see what happened in the elevator to come to feel the way that you feel to this point now? I, I'm
4: just
5: I'm very confused by all this, Nick, and here's why. Uh when Ray Rice was originally suspended, you know, we saw the videotape, and the only one was him dragging his fiancee out, which obviously was very disturbing. And we had already known what happened. You know, she swung on him, then he hit her and knocked her out. And then, you know, after that all transpired, that's the video that we see of him dragging her out of the elevator. But now that we have seen the whole thing, I mean, A, it makes it very hard for me to believe, Nick, that the NFL didn't have access to both videotape, simply because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's really neither here nor there whether or not they have the film. You know, they, they give them a two-game suspension, and all of this was pretty much done for, except for the fact that, you know, they, they changed the policy. And, you know, if you get caught once it's six games, again, it's indefinite. But now, this video surfaces of him actually hitting her. But he had admitted to it, Nick. They knew that he had struck his wife. So, I mean, are, are we... Are, are they as the NFL's Roger Goodell cracking on domestic abuse, like, in itself? Or is he just cracking down on videos of domestic abuse? Like, oh, well, if it happens, but it's not on tape, then you get two games. But then if we catch you on tape, then you're suspended indefinitely. So it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's like, oh, did we not believe like that? It was heinous. Like, it doesn't matter how hard he hit her, Nick. Uh, Obviously, he hit her hard enough to knock her out. And it, it just baffles me. That once this video surfaces, that, oh, now all of a sudden we have to cover our tracks. And, you know, it just, like, there's very few things that would make Roger Goodell seem like he's telling the truth. Uh, I mean, it just really seems like he's backpedaling, and he seems like a guy that... Was under the impression that this second video would never surface and would never be seen. So, and it's just kind of funny how things work out, Nick. Where you know this new suspension is put into place, uh, this new rule, and then immediately after that is when we see the second, uh, the second angle and the second video, if you will. So. There's something very fishy about Roger Goodell, and as if he didn't screw up the league enough, Nick, I mean, you can't really say what this man has done right. I mean, we have seen the NFL go on strike. We have seen concussion issues. We have seen players complain and moan about the way that he is running the league. You would be hard-pressed to find anything that he is doing well. So when people say that he needs to step down, no, he needs to be fired. And this is, you know, I would say the straw that broke the camel's back, but obviously it's more than a straw. This is the log that broke the camel's back, Nick, and it can't take any more of Roger Goodell's BS.
3: Yeah, but I'll say this. I mean, I've heard others uh, uh, speak on this measure, and you know, you have people on both sides of the fence. There are those that are calling for Roger Goodell to resign, to be fired. And there are others that are saying, well, why should he be fired? The biggest person in this issue is not Roger Goodell, who's on trial. It is Ray Rice. And, I, and I'll say this to add to that. When you look at the fact is if the NFL is not like any corporate organization that that's out there. Yes, it is a big business. It is a conglomerate. It is probably or it is the the, the top earning athletic uh, professional sport in, in our history. And you have to remember, the, he works for the owners, and he, they're, they're viewing him as doing a very good job in expanding the brand and bringing more revenue into the NFL. So they're looking at this, and there have been some owners. Uh, Robert Kraft went on CBS uh, to say himself that you know he, he doesn't see any wrongdoing that Roger Goodell has done. and. uh, Well, of course not,
5: Nick, because here's the thing. All of the owners, as long as he's bringing in more money, that means the owners are making more money. I mean, and we're already starting to see, and I'm not going to put everybody in this category, we're starting to see kind of how soulless and how money-hungry a lot of these guys are. Now, granted, it was mostly in the NBA that we're having all these issues with uh, the team owners, but you can't tell me there's not a little bit of an overlap. So the deal, like the problem that I have with Roger Goodell, I mean, how much money does he make, Nick? $30 million. $30 million a year. And what is he doing for the league? Somebody that's getting paid this much money to screw up time and time again? It's just like you watch that interview and you listen to that interview, the one that we just played, in its entirety— And he seems like a man that is up against the ropes. He's defending himself. And keep in mind, Nick, I am a psychology major. So, you know, we studied voice patterns and facial cues and stuff like that. And and I know I'm going out on a little bit of a limb, but it's very hard to believe a man that is acting the way that he is acting. When you're getting paid 30 million dollars. To not just represent the owners, but you're representing the NFL, Nick. You have to look out for the best interest of the players and the uh, the identity of the league. So when you have players start to complain about a guy like Ray Rice, and you know Ray Rice is not the only guy out there, he was just the one that was unfortunate enough to get caught on video. And now this whole stuff with Ray McDonald, you know, you got Ray Rice, Ray McDonald, and then Ray Lewis. Maybe they should just not let guys named Ray into the NFL anymore. I'm sorry to Ray Cracker for that one.
3: Well, I tell you, you know, it's funny that you bring up Ray Lewis because uh, Ray Lewis, former Raven now turned uh, analyst for the Four Letter Network, uh, he had this to say. I mean, this is coming from a once mentor, Ray Rice. He said, look, I mean, there's no comparison between me and Ray Rice. And Well, he's he- right,
5: Nick, because he did not beat his wife. He murdered her. So yeah, there is a difference.
3: Well, well right now we have a call on the line from Atlanta. He wants to chime in on the discussion. Uh, Mr. Prater, what do you have to say about the Ray Rice and Roger Goodell situation? I mean, well, uh,
2: first of all, thanks for having me, uh, Nick and Mario. Uh, Thanks for calling, man. It's just a crazy situation, man. Where, um, yeah, Robert uh, Roger Goodell should be held accountable because I'm like Mario, man. There's no way you cannot have found out that information Preach. with all the other things that you do uh, within the NFL, having, uh, I'm pretty sure, Nick, you know, having guys follow guys because they've known to be in trouble before and stuff like that. So he should be aware of pretty much everything that goes in the league. And for that, yes, Ray Rice deserved to lose his job because, once again, no man can hit him. Now, when it comes to the NFL owners, yes, they're not going to get rid of Roger Goodell considering he just, what, signed a TV contract, $275 million for eight games in one year as an owner. you loving that. You're not going to get rid of him. And not only that, how much did Roger Goodell make last year? $44 million or something?
3: Yeah, but but I asked you this question, Dave. And once again, thanks for the call. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. We're talking about Ray Rice. You know – so Ray Rice has been under scrutiny. I mean, uh, I mean, his, his reputation has been dragged through the mud. Don't get me wrong. Yet he did what he did, and he should pay for that. Are we jumping on, piling on Ray Rice along when we should pile on maybe Baltimore Ravens and maybe Roger Goodell uh, as well?
2: I mean, spread the love all, always. You know, because first of all, Ray Rice should have never put himself in the situation to have This conversation today, but once again, the Ravens take a lot of responsibility because they should have done their due diligence as well in the investigation and trying to find out everything in itself. And I think had the Ravens did something a little earlier, as far as like suspending him indefinitely until they did their thorough investigation, I think a lot of this heat on Roger Goodell would have kind of simmered down a little bit.
5: Well, know, I, I think I think everyone involved really quick Nick. I think everyone involved just needs to Take a step back and maybe think before you speak. And I'm going to give you two examples. Stephen A. Smith and Floyd Mayweather. First off, Stephen A. is coming out saying that, I mean, let's keep in mind, this is a man who's about a month removed from a suspension already for making asinine comments. This guy comes out, he basically goes off script. And keep in mind, this show between him and Skip Bayless is a joke. They bring up issues and they debate them and they make people They they watch, people watch because they want to hate Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith. and It's just like, it's the worst program in all of sports. I'm sorry, it had to be said. But this man comes out and he started saying that it's irrational to think that it's Roger Goodell's fault and there are only a couple issues and it's being dealt with. Look, Stephen A., I don't know if you've been around a television or a radio or another human being the last couple weeks or the last couple months, but it turns out this whole domestic abuse thing is a... Kind of a big deal. So considering the fact that you already got your sorry behind suspended for making stupid comments, maybe you should just take a break. You know, go on a month-long sabbatical and just step away from being a moron. And then Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather said that they had a right for two games. How come more people aren't putting this man on blast? I mean... The reason that he thinks that it's not that bad is because he has been involved with domestic abuse as well. But what happens when you have 10 figures? It doesn't really matter. Apparently, you can do whatever you want. So Floyd Mayweather needs to shut his damn mouth, and Stephen A. Smith needs to shut his damn mouth.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, and thank you uh, for the call. You know, it, it, it baffles me when you hear certain things uh, like that because... I was always taught it takes two to tango and someone does not, you know, engage in altercation or prompt altercation by, by themselves. Yes, once again, I go back to this and I will continue to state this. What Ray Rice did and his actions were that of his and his alone. And the one thing that I have to debunk right now is just a whole conversation that this is the culture of the NFL. This is not the culture of the NFL there's over a thousand players in the NFL every player is not someone that wants to put his hands on his wife or girlfriend but I do believe that every person has the right under law to protect themselves at any cost and what you're, I've been and what,
5: absolutely I, right.
3: and what I've been hearing on Twitter is the fact of hey listen he's a football player he's a man he's much larger than her he should not hit her back if she were to hit him and I've, st- I've said this before and I'll say it again if you don't put your hands on anyone, we're not worrying about this situation. We're not having this discussion. Whether Amen. It's, whether it's the man or, or the woman, we don't have to worry about this. So just to kind of dispel that rumor that this is the culture that's bred in the NFL, that is a total lie. That's a total lie. Every guy is not the same. Yes. Do you have to be physical in the game of football? Absolutely, but let's, let's let's not just put the blame on players and the NFL. Let's look at television. Let's look at movies. There's violence that's depicted, and even in video games. So, hey Nick, so, to, so to me, as a society, question. we have to look at it, Dad. What do you have? To, what do you have to say? Not, not because y'all
2: before quick question. Don't you guys have seminars in NFL when you
4: guys first get in the league, and they talk about domestic situations?
3: Yes, we do have uh, but, seminars when we talk okay. about uh, domestic. Uh, of of violence some of those some of those things have we kind of moved away from them slightly but it you know here's my idea for what we need to do or can be move before
4: maybe they they need
2: to incorporate guys that have significant others when they come into the league to discuss with them the importance of not putting their hands on one another not just her but one another and maybe there's something they need to take forth because this is a very serious situation i'm sure Ray Rice is not the first one.
3: He's the first one to probably get caught on tape. Well, thanks, Darryl, once again for the statements. Thank you, guys. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, man. I'll continue where, where he left off real quick before we go to break. You know, my plan and my suggestion is for what we, what we should do, what the league should do, is yes, like Darryl, like Derek said, uh, called from Atlanta, is the fact that there are programs that players – are engaged in when they kind of teach us and school us on these kind of, you know, trials and tribulations that we might face or out in, in the real world is to call it that. But what, I, what I'm suggesting is not just take the players through this program, bring the player significant other, bring his wife, bring his girlfriend so they know exactly what players actually have to endure. So now you're attacking it twofold. You're attacking it with the player, you're attacking it with the wife as well. So everyone is knowledgeable about everything that's taking place. So, so for me, that's what should happen. But it still boils down. Don't put your hands on anyone. You don't have to worry about this particular situation. Joining us next on the show after the break, we're going to talk to Hans Hayes to go beyond that Mason Dixon line and get a look at the Atlanta Hawks and what's going on in their trouble organization and the surprising week one, NFC South, Atlanta Falcons over the New Orleans Saints. We'll see what he has to say about that organization and maybe get into South Carolina-Georgia preview. We'll see what Hans has to preview after the break. Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective.
0: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs) Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart
1: You're listening to Secondary Perspective With Nick Ferguson To get in the lineup for today's show Please call one 346 9144 That's one 346 9144 Or send an email to Show at gmail.com Now, back to the show
3: You know, uh, I've just got to give you know, a lot of credit to offensive line. You know, they did a tremendous job on that play. They got me one-on-one with a safety. And uh, anytime they do that, I got to make a play. But was. you know, uh, it, it's one of the things that I pride myself in, is being able to stiff-arm guys. And uh, he came in high, and I knew I would have an opportunity so, to do so. So uh, it worked out, and we were able to get a win. That, that's the voice of running back uh, Fred Jackson, Buffalo Bills, after uh, overtime win over the Chicago Bears on the road. And, and the one thing that's interesting that stands out to me about uh, that, that sound bite is every running back has some kind of way that they run, something that they add to their repertoire to help them to outmaneuver defenders. And if you didn't see it, you need to, you need to see it. What he was talking about is uh, a play as he was heading towards the end zone on the left side of the field, and safety Chris Canty of the Chicago Bears came running in, and Fred Jackson hit him with one of those Ryu's, all oh, you can, and just knocked him on the <laughs> ground, right? And, and, and here's the thing, he shoved him twice. And almost like my little son throwing a tirade because I wouldn't give him candy or something, Chris Canty sat on the ground, I mean, just sat there. He didn't do anything, just kind of looking into the abyss like he couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe it either, but, you know, Fred Jackson, they came back, great win on the road by Doug Marone, former Georgia Tech offensive line uh, head coach in the Buffalo Bills. And you look at that organization early on in the week, it was said that they were having issues maybe with Doug Marrone and someone in the front office, and they were not agreeing. And then there was talks about E.J. Emanuel not being the guy Kyle Orton was signed and brought in. And all I can say is whatever they, they thought they didn't have E.J. Emanuel, he came out, and he must have been, got yeah, to a point where hey, listen, you guys are saying this, I'm hearing this in the newspaper. I'm going to come out and show you that I was worthy of being drafted, you know, early in the first round from Florida State. And he was really, uh, really impressive. But Chicago Bears' Jay Cutler started the season up on a bad note, two interceptions for the former Broncos quarterback. And I ask you, Mario, when, when you look at the week that was in the NFL, uh, what was more shocking to you did you see a game that just kind of jumped out at you that was really surprising because Week won the NFL was really shocking and, and re- really fun I, I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to week two to see what happened I mean anything happened this last week that that was kind of like oh wow I can't believe that happened
5: honestly the most shocking thing is what you were just talking about the Bills over the Bears in Chicago and you look at the first drive the Bears had Jake Hutler looked like he was ready to take that next step. I mean, he was firing on all cylinders. He was on the same page with his receivers. uh, And they went down and scored a touchdown right away. And I thought, okay, yeah, here you go, uh, Chicago Bears. Because a lot of people, Nick, are picking them to not only win their division but possibly challenge, uh, be one of the few teams that can challenge the Seahawks for that NFC title. So that had to be the most shocking, man, because they let the the Bills stick around and uh, it, I, I honestly, like, I'm at a loss for words. I'm not sure how it happened because the Bears completely uh, overmatched the Bills on paper. But that's why you play the game, Nick. Any given Sunday, and poor Conti, man, my goodness, he didn't. Like you said, he didn't get stiff armed once. The first time he stiff armed him, you know, he still had a chance. He got in front of Fred Jackson. You know, not a good angle. And then Fred Jackson had all his momentum going forward. And just embarrassed him. Just threw him on the ground like a child, Nick. And as soon as I saw that play, it's like, man, how is it that year in and year out, fantasy players are still taking C.J. Spiller over the old man Fred Jackson? He was supposed to be done four years ago, and he's still getting it done. Well, I tell that, you, that had to be the biggest shock by far.
3: You know what? Anyway, in his interview... He also said that, you know, just what you said, he is, you know, older, he's wiser, but he still can get it done. But that's a testament to a lot of veteran players who are often overlooked because their age somehow is an indicator that they can't get it done. But he's proven time and time again, he's the underdog and he's going to come out there and he's going to get it done. So well, all, hey. I, all I can say is, oh, you get
5: <laughs> let me ask you this, man. Obviously, you played safety for a while in the NFL. What would you have done if that was you? You know, and and, and honestly, here's the thing, man. It kind of added insult to injury because by the time Conti got his hands on him, they were already in field goal range. Yes. So there wasn't much to do about anything. But if that happened to you, you know, you get embarrassed and pretty much let your team down how do you handle that situation? I know nothing of the sort would ever happen to the great Nick Ferguson, but let's just play, let's play hypothetical real quick. What would you have done in Conte's situation if you had just gotten embarrassed on national television?
3: Well, well I'm going to give you twofold. I'm going to give you the youthful Nick Ferguson, and then I'm going to give you the savvy veteran Nick Ferguson. Okay. Now, now the youthful, rambunctious Nick Ferguson would have done one or two things. I would rather grab the guy by the inside of his jersey and pulled him to the ground, or I would have grabbed the guy's face mask and pulled him to the ground. All of which are not appropriate and I don't condone. Now, let's talk about the savvy Nick Ferguson. Now the savvy Nick Ferguson, who learned from those early eras, had developed a special way to deal with running backs and how they use their stiff arm. Now I'm not gonna go too much in detail. You can you can look me up on Nick Fur at uh, NickFergShow at gmail.com if you want more information about that. But I developed my own technique to deal with guys who would stick their stiff arm out there to kind of ward me off or, or just shove me out of the way. But I say you have to learn the running back. You have to know who you're facing week in and week out. What type of running back he is. Is he a jump cutter? Is he a guy that barrels forward? Is it a guy who holds his stiff arm in and waits to draw you in? Or if he's a guy that leaves it out there like Adrian Ed- James, used to form a running back from the University of Miami and in the Indianapolis coach. That's how you, you have to gauge that. But I developed my own little technique to deal with that but also allow me to secure the tackle. But uh, to me, it is an embarrassing thing when someone is able to stiff arm me like that at home, not once, but twice, and then you sit on the ground. <laughs> and you sit on the ground, and all you can do is just look at the crowd. And I, and I put the video on on Instagram on social media, not, not to kind of demean Chris Kennedy, but also to kind of give a little coaching as well. But I sent it out to uh, some former guys who played in NFL, two of which who uh, played with me in the NFL. I sent it out to Chris Young and Kanoa Kennedy. And they, I mean, their response was like, how could this happen? How could you allow yourself to be embarrassed? In that he wasn't way? ready. No. Oh, oh no. <laughs> He wasn't ready. <laughs> no. Oh my but, god, he said he was going to step on me, step on oh my god. No. But but to me as a player, I mean, th- there's a certain level of respect you have to have for yourself. Not to allow another player to do that, but even if it were to happen because it, it there's a saying in NFL. If you hadn't if, if you haven't been run by or run over, you hadn't played long enough. So it may happen to you at some point, but the thing is that you don't want to do like you said that insult to injury by sitting on the ground no yeah
5: you, yeah
0: exactly
3: <laughs> you get up you come back you wipe yourself off like I tell my son and you look to make a- another play but sticking to the week that was in the NFL of course I would be remiss if I didn't throw toss this out there San Francisco all over the Dallas Cowboys your boy Tony Romo Nick when you went out on Twitter
5: and you gotta follow him at Nick Ferguson underscore 25 he said who is going to have the Romo effect this week and you put it out there and I said it's gonna be Tony Romo who else could it possibly be three picks bro you knew it was gonna happen was it
3: was it one of them in the end zone or was it two I know it was at least one you know what I think it was I think it was two but I think You know, here's the thing with Tony Romo. He's an excellent regular season quarterback. He puts up gaudy numbers. And, you know, should he be mentioned amongst the elite quarterbacks in the NFL? Absolutely right. I mean, he deserves that for what he's done in the regular season. But we all know you don't get remembered for what you do in the regular season in the history books. It's about the postseason. And for some reason, it's just not meshing for him. And, yeah, I know we're kind of tough on on Tony Romo. And and that's because everyone talks about it being a quarterback-driven league. They paid you a lot of money. You have to be the difference maker on that team. But in all fairness, I think when you look at the management of the Dallas Cowboys and how they put this team together, they're not really helping Tony Romo, and that's very difficult because the guy has some skills. But it just once you get around that that November December part of the the the, the year, it just seems to unfold uh, for Tony Romo. So hopefully, maybe next year, because we know they're not going to make the playoff this year. <laughs> hopefully, management gives him. So hey, today, hey, well. Nick,
5: that NFL East, man, that is a that's a pretty bad division. I mean, you talk about the Eagles. I mean, and we talked about it on the show, the Eagles were probably going into it, the best team in that division. They got shut out in the first half by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I said were my surprise team. But if you're supposed to be a contender, you're supposed to be a division champion, you can't get bullied around at home by a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, that's right. I'm looking at you Chicago Bears. Here's the thing, man. Who is calling the plays in Dallas? Because I've heard Jason Garrett, but he doesn't seem to get the job done. Do they not understand like how DeMarco Murray works? Nick, I mean, this is a man that is averaging over five yards a carry. If if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he averaged about six yards a carry against San Francisco, who is supposed to have one of the most stout run defenses in the NFL. I understand you fall behind. You got to throw the ball. But clearly, he is a playmaker, and you have Got to get the ball into his hands. And it baffled me last year, and I know it's going to baffle me again this year. In fact, that was one of the main reasons, and I'm going to tie a lot of things into fantasy because that's what I do. That was one of the main reasons I didn't want DeMarco Murray on my fantasy team because I know he's going to rush for 100 yards, but he's not going to get a touchdown. He's not going to get that many carries. You know, his production is going to be based on what he can do with 15 to maybe, maybe 20 carries a game. And I'm pretty sure, Nick, if I remember correctly, that was the first game in his career that he has gotten 20 carries and the Cowboys have lost. But the man gets it done. So we can't as much as I like to criticize Tony Romo, and you know that is one of my favorite things to do, Mr. Ferg. He's got to be able to turn around and give give DeMarco Murray the ball more often. Bottom line, Jason Witten ain't what he used to be. Terrence Williams is not a good number two wide receiver. You double-team Des Bryant, which is what they were doing. You put the pressure on. Romo has nothing to do with the ball but to give it to DeMarco Murray. Take the pressure off the man. Dang. You know, I said the Atlanta Falcons were greatly improved, and I will admit it, if I say something wrong, I will own up to it. I thought the Saints were going to win this game. But apparently, I did not take into account the fact that the Saints have one of the worst secondaries I've ever seen. Now, their safeties, Jairus Bird had a fantastic game. And he was one of the guys that kept their defense in it for a while. But Kenny Beccaro, who had an incredible rookie year last year, had a very bad preseason, and he struggled mightily. And I don't even know who their cornerbacks are, Nick. And I'm watching this game. Matt Ryan throws for over 400 yards. In fact, he sets an Atlanta Falcons record for passing yards. You're telling me that Champ Bailey wasn't good enough to make that team, Nick? And, okay, I know that the people that make those decisions know a lot more than football about me, make a lot more money than I do, and I ever will. But really, you're telling me Champ Bailey couldn't make a little bit of an impact on this game? Well,
3: let's ask Hans. We got Hans on the line. Hans, uh, we were talking about Falcons and the Saints. I mean, when you look at that game, of course, I mean, I picked the Saints to win that game? Definitely, because when you look at this rivalry between these two teams, 13-4 record from Drew Brees, but Matt Ryan came out and lit it up, and they were down. But what does that mean for this, this team, knowing as though you were down at home against your division rival, but you were still able to fight back into the
4: game? <clears throat> well, first, I mean, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I, I think Saints-Falcons is as good a rivalry as there is in the NFL and, you know, when they were bad, we were bad, you know, and it didn't really matter, and, and now we just happen to both be good. But, you know, give a little credit here. You know, Falcons are down 17-3 uh, mid-second quarter. We're driving, had the ball at about the, I think, 25-yard line. It was third and 12 and what I thought was the play of the game. A little dump-off to the rookie, Dante Freeman, out of Florida State. He was dead to rights. He makes two guys miss and drives a cornerback. Couple yards back for the first down to extend the drive. They go in, score a touchdown, and it's a completely different football game from there. You know, you're only down by uh, ten points at that point, and uh, they hung in there. They made some plays. Uh, Robert McLean on defense with a great interception there in the end zone. I thought he played the ball exceptionally well. Uh, I thought the two corners, uh, Alford and Truffaut, played excellent. Uh, the defensive line was solid. I, I think that uh, this is what you're going to see from the Falcons this year. I think it's going to be um, a shoot-em-out week after week after week. But offensively, I don't know how you slow them down. They have four running backs that can run the ball. They have four wide receivers that might be as good as anybody in the league. And you've got a quarterback who really worked on his athleticism and mobility in the offseason, and it showed. You watch that game, he extended those plays I would say maybe six or seven times where he was done behind the line of scrimmage and made a play. A little credit to Matt Ryan for getting his butt in shape this offseason.
5: I got a quick question regarding what you said. Everybody knows about Roddy White. Everybody knows about Julio Jones. When the Falcons brought Devin Hester in the off season, everyone just assumed he would just be a return man. You know, maybe a number four, maybe a number five wide receiver. Hester goes out there and he looked like the most impressive Falcon receiver. I don't know what it was. He just looked bigger than he ever had with the Chicago bears. Now, as a guy that covers the team and is around the team, is this a flash in the pan, or is this version of Devin Hester for real? Are we going to see, you know, Devin Hester two now, and is his is his career uh, resurgence now?
4: Well, I, I think Dirk Cutter deserves a lot of credit for giving Devin an opportunity to make plays. Uh, they ran a lot, of, a lot of crossing routes with him, and you know, when you mention, you know, you mentioned those other two All Pro wide receivers you know, it's going to draw a lot of attention away from the other guys. And Harry Douglas, another guy with the injuries to Roddy and Julio last year, he was asked to be the guy. And I think he had about 1,200 yards per seven or eight touchdowns last year. So he's another guy. And if Devin's the fourth guy on that, I don't care who you are. I mean, Nick will tell you, defensively, it's hard enough guarding those two guys, but you got to worry about four. Um, Dirk Cutter's going to do a good job of creating opportunities for each of them. And uh, I I don't know how you can – can stop all four of them. I, I really don't. Uh, Tony Gonzalez isn't there, but I, you know, I, I definitely think Devin Hester can, and I, I, you got to wonder what Mark Trestman's Chicago Bears were thinking not using him on offense last year.
3: Well, you know, I wondered my, myself, when you have a guy that's explosive with the balls in his hands, you have to give him the ball and, and let him do work. I mean, uh, Devin Hester, I mean, one of the best guys to touch the ball, like a Deshaun Jackson, always capable of uh, making an impact play to not give in the ball in the Chicago Bears uniform and not possibly see him break the return record in the Falcons uniform, I know that's disheartening to a lot of Bears. But I want to ask you this, this question that, I mean, it's a burning question. I'm sure you're talking about it down in Atlanta, the Ray Rice issue. I mean, what do you, what do you take away from what we're seeing thus far?
4: <laughs> man, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't know how you defend a guy like that. I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, his ass should be in jail. You know the the heck with what the league did to him. I he should be in jail. That's simple. Yep. Hey, what would happen to you if you did something like that? You'd probably be out of a job and be behind bars. I don't think it should be any different with him. You know, a- I, don't, I don't know what I don't know what the league saw or didn't see. Uh, I think that's all speculation. I think people that are calling for Goodell's head right now are people that don't like him. And, you know, he's not the most likable guy, but it doesn't change the fact what Ray Rice did. We have the video evidence of what he did. He spat on his girlfriend, mother of his child twice, and knocked her out cold, stepped over her body, and then told the security guard that she was intoxicated? Come on, man. Come on. Well,
3: well, it, it is something that uh, Ray Rice would definitely have to deal with for the remaining of his career. And if that is to happen or take place in the NFL, we still don't know uh, at this point. But uh, let's move on to another organization that you know really well, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, Bruce Levinson had some comments that he said about the fan base and the hip-hop music and how many people of of ethnic background coming to the game. Uh, And then also Danny Ferry had some things to say in free agency about Luau Dan. I mean, when you look at that as a whole, and, you know, we're coming off this whole Donald Sterling issue, do we have a problem in the NBA when it comes or concerns with race?
4: I'm sure there is, just like there is in any big business. I'm sure it's, you know, prevalent in the NFL as well. It's You know, it's just the day and age that we live in. Uh, you know, as far as what what Bruce Levinson said, I, I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. He He's a businessman, and he is 110% right. It, it doesn't make it right. There's probably a better way to say it. But, hey, the facts are that those are the people, demographics, white males, 35 to 55, that spend money to buy his product. And they're not reaching that demographic. Now, saying that they're scared to come down there because of the black community, I don't know about that. But I do know that the music, the entertainment, uh, everything that's in that arena is solely catered to the African-American community. And that has been, it's been a problem for them bringing fans in. There was another thing that was talked about um, outside of the Danny Ferry deal where agents were concerned of their players coming to play in Atlanta because of the lack of fan support. You know, you're coming up on five years in the NBA, you've earned your right to become a free agent, you want to play in front of some fans and play for a winner, and you know how it is, Nick, here. People don't understand why you can't get people to come fight for the Atlanta Hawks. I think Bruce Levinson was simply stating that this might be part of the problem. You know, our attendance is, our lack thereof, is really affecting us bringing in these top-tier players. It's like, uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So, while he could have worded it better, you know, with the Donald Sterling thing, didn't do him any favors. It's unfortunate, but Danny Ferry... It sucks because I really feel like he was taking this organization in the right direction, you know, hiring the coach last year and making good decisions, getting rid of Joe Johnson's contract, trading Josh Smith. But who's going to come play for a guy who said that, Nick? I mean, would Nobody. you go to a guy who said that? I mean, I don't I don't know what we're going to do. It's unfortunate, but it's almost like we have to start all over again.
3: Well, well Hans, we got ten seconds before we get out of here. Big games – this week in college football, especially in that Georgia area, you have Paul Johnson facing off against his old, his old team in Georgia Southern, and Georgia, the Georgia Yellow Jackets are 2-0. And also you have the Bulldogs coming off a bye week. They're facing against Dylan Thompson, who avoided an 0-2 slide to win the game last week. Dogs, jackets, what can we expect?
4: Jackets, you know, they're going against Georgia Southern. First time they've ever played Southern for 31 years, going back to Heracross, who's been using that spread option attack. This year they're not. They bring in Willie Fritz from San Houston State. Um, Coach Buck went up to Coach Army, so they are going to a wide-open offense. They're going to have a quarterback throwing it all over the field. They almost beat NC State a couple weeks ago. 20 points, that's way too many. I think Georgia Tech's one of the most overrated teams in the country. I'm sorry, Nick, I think it's going to be close. I do think the Jackets win. As for the Georgia Bulldogs, Steve Spurrier, he saves all his tricks for the Bulldogs, whether he's wearing a blue visor or a maroon one. So throw out what they did opening week against AM and and throw out what they did against East Carolina last week. They'll be ready for the Dogs, and Columbia's a tough place to play. That game could go either way.
3: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Hans Heiser. You can find him at Hans Heiser on Twitter. And Hans, as always, thanks for joining the program. Hopefully,
4: yeah. I'll Bo- see you, Nick. Every Bo- week. Thank you, hey, sir.
3: All right. Coming up after the break, we wrap up the program. We talk a little bit more about Ray Rice incident. And we get into a little bit of real talk. Keep it locked here. You don't want to miss it. Nick Ferguson, secondary perspective.
1: <laughs> The fans
0: now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need ass and then move on. Oh, I just, and I get just ready think, and think and that the coach do. made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up! Speak up! Or forever hold your mouth.
2: We ain't playing around here.
0: Voice America Sports.
4: 12 noon eastern time get ready for an unpredictable fun and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports that's kwame lassiter's sports talk on the voice america sports network
0: your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports
1: Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 346 9144. That's 1 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
2: One hand in the air.
3: Two hands in the air, but he don't really care. It's like that sometimes, I mean, ridiculous. It's like that sometimes, I mean, ridiculous. Oh, yes, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous it is. So, Mario, last Sunday, Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown attempted to avoid Cleveland Browns partner Spencer Lanning. But the lack of elevation led to Lanning taking one of the chops. Antonio Brown spoke to Lanning after the game to ensure him that, hey, do i wasn't trying to do it on purpose i wasn't trying to hurt you but Brown, but brown was flagged on the play and i ask you should brown be fined by the league for this unfortunate encounter man i
5: this is a this is a weird one nick because you know you watch the play and it looks premeditated but for as fast as antonio brown is and you know he tried to uh To jump over him unless, you know, like that punter said something about his mama. I don't know why he would kick him in the face like that. I think maybe you slap him with just a little bit of a fine, you know, nothing that's going to make a real dent just because, you know, he did kick a guy in the face. And then just get the man a pair of P.F. flyers, run faster, jump higher. Won't have that problem again. Real talk.
3: All right. So now biggest shock surprise of week one in NFL or even in college football last week in week number two. Patriots week one loss to longtime divisional rival Miami Dolphins are, uh, is it a reason for concern, yes or no?
5: Yeah, absolutely it's a reason to panic. Look, let's not get all up in arms. It was in Miami. It is a division game. And even though the Patriots are far superior to this Dolphins team, you can never count out a division rival, no matter how good one is, no matter how bad the other is. And this Dolphins team is pretty damn good. You know the issue with this Patriots team, Nick? They went out and they buffed up on defense. They did nothing at the running back position. Steven Ridley is in the answer. Shane Vereen is basically a wide receiver. And that kid white that they got out of Wisconsin, he is not going to have an impact. This is a time to panic. Remember back when Brady said he was going to play until he sucked? Well, guess what, Nick? That (laughs) time is creeping up on Mr. Brady. He completed about 50% of his passes. Two years ago, Nick, he was fourth in the NFL in uh, completion percentage. Last year, 22nd. It's only going to get worse from here on out. Brady's got a couple more years until he's full-fledged sucked. Real talk.
3: Well, I got a little real talk for you. Last year, the Patriots endured something similar where they didn't have the supporting cast that Brady is used to. And everyone was saying the run, the Belichick, and Brady were over. But guess what? They find themselves at the end of the season in the mile-high city versus Denver Broncos. So guess what? Don't close the chapter and don't write the book on the Patriots just yet because they will be there as always in the end. But – there was an a email that I got, and I said, and it was said that, make sure you mention this to Mario really quickly. No, Sean Moreno balled out for the fans. Wow. Denver Broncos, what's happening?
5: Hey, what's man, happening? I, I love all Denver Broncos, past, present, and future, except for Eddie Kennison. I know you remember that, coward, but that's another discussion for another day. I love Sean Moreno. I was sad that we couldn't keep him, but I understood why we couldn't. He wanted too much money, and the Broncos couldn't afford him. Look at this roster. There is simply no room for him. That's why they didn't keep Zane Beatles. That's why they didn't keep Eric Decker. But you got to move on. You always root for a guy like NoSean Moreno. Nothing but good things here in Denver, and uh, he'll always be a Bronco at heart. Real talk.
3: All right. Biggest surprise, Browns giving Steelers a week one scare after disappointing preseason, or... Uh, Ohio State defeat at at the horseshoe against ACC team, Virginia Tech. Real talk.
5: The Browns are not as bad as everybody thinks, and the Buckeyes aren't as good as everybody thinks. They lost Braxton Miller for the season. That was their entire offense. What can you do? Ohio State's going to be an average to above-average football team, and Virginia Tech is not too bad. I mean, you want to see say ACC, like it's such a bad conference? It is on the up and up. And I feel like the Big Ten is on the down, down, down. As far as the Brown Steelers are concerned, I think Pittsburgh got a little bit complacent. Same kind of thing we saw the Broncos game. They had this big lead. They gave it up. What people tend to forget, this is still the NFL, Nick. These are still grown-ass men getting paid a lot of money to play the game of football. And, uh, you know, Ben Tate going down ended up being a kind of a blessing because now undrafted running back Isaiah Crowell, originally a Georgia boy and I know how, how much you love your Georgia boys. Maybe we can get him <laughs> on the show along with the other Georgia running backs. Uh, went over to Alabama State. You had a run in with the law. Extremely talented young kid. And in case you needed proof. That Johnny Manziel doesn't need to be playing over Brian Hoyer, that was it. I thought Hoyer looked great. The Steelers are a much better team, and they could make a push to win that division. They'll be better than they have in years past. But let's give the Browns a little bit of credit. They are not as bad as people want to believe. And if that game was in Cleveland, I think they might win that game, Nick. Real talk, I wasn't surprised by either.
3: Well, real talk, Penn State sanctions were lifted Monday by the NCAA, including in the bowl ban and the full Couplement of scholarships. I think this bodes well for the Penn State uh, faithful. And I think it's a great thing for college football. James Franklin is doing a great job with that program. And they face Rutgers, who we talked about earlier in the program, when we talked about Ray Rice. So uh, I want to see how both Penn State responds to the sanction and also Rutgers uh, respond as well.
5: Well, here's the thing. I like that Penn State was celebrating and you know, it's it's a whole discussion that we can get into maybe next week, Nick.
3: What I'll tell you, I'll say, say, say this on and the whole. To hold these guys,
5: these current guys, accountable for something that went on that they had nothing to do with, you know, it seemed a little bit unfair. So I'm all on board. The only thing that I didn't really agree with, Nick, is when the students went out there and they didn't riot, but they were celebrating, you know, peacefully, but they're chanting Joe Paterno's name. And I understand Joe Paul was like a father to everybody, a father figure to everybody that went to Penn State. And it's very sad how everything went down, but you just yeah, that's the one thing I have a problem with, Nick, because he did know about all of this stuff. His son is trying to save, uh, save his name. It's not going to be done, at least, you know, not in the near future. So cheer for Penn State. Cheer for that team. Cheer for the players, the coaches. But, you know, for the time being, don't cheer for Joe Pa. I'm sorry. It pains me to say that, but that's how it goes. Real talk.
3: Really quickly, I have to I'll be remiss if I didn't say this. The whole gay rights situation is not just about domestic violence. It is a human rights issue, and I always <laughs> encourage you guys to go to humanrights.org, and I'll read something for you really quickly. Number eight on human rights. Your human rights are protected by law. We can all ask for the law to help us when we are treated unfairly. And with that, I'll say this, Mario. Uh, when you look at the Baltimore Ravens, and it was said by Isaac Newsom himself that Ray Rice told him what actually happened with the incident. He told uh, Coach Harbaugh as well. So seeing what took place in the elevator changes absolutely nothing because he told them exactly what happened. But Coach Harbaugh came out early in the week said only because of what the video they saw was why they decided to take the contract away from Ray Rice. With that, I'll let you have the last word before I close it out.
5: Last word, just keep your hands off of another human being. That's all that needs to be said. That's all that ever has needed to be said. And I'm so sick of hearing about this Ray Rice talk. I just want to watch football like a true blue fan. Go Broncos. That's all I got.
3: So I guess sometimes the question is, morals or football, which one are you in favor of? I want to thank as always, my co host Mario Batanza. You can find him at Mile High Mario. And also Hans Heiser, south of the Mason Dixon line, coming on, breaking us everything south, football, basketball. Appreciate him. You can follow him at Hans Heiser, the guys. And Phoenix, keeping the program afloat. want to thank those guys as always. But go to humanrights.org, find out your human rights, know your human rights so your rights cannot be violated. Educate and- yourself educate yourself have a great weekend and by all means people keep your hands to yourself that's right god bless until next week peace
1: Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.